when I left the movie theater at which I saw today's spirit flick selection, the end of the tour, there was a Rita's right next door with a small parking lot. And there was a woman seated in the front seat of her car behind the wheel who had a very small, probably the smallest size that they serve at Rita's. Could be soft serve, could have been custard. I love custard, so I'm going to pretend it's custard for the purpose of this story. And she was totally focused on this custard cone. Now, just to set the scene for you a little bit more, this was a very, very high-end car that she was in. And her nails, from what I could see, were done up perfectly. And she had makeup applied just in the right way, whatever the right way is. Those shows where they make you over and the makeup's exactly like it should be. She had that makeup. <laughs> and I could see with every lick that she took of her custard cone, after every lick, this big smile came across her face. Totally enraptured she was. And I tried not to stare, but, you know, I'm always... <laughs> I'm always looking for good stories, right? (laughs) And I think a few other people saw her with this ice cream cone, this custard cone, because she kind of saw us seeing her and became self-conscious in that moment. And so she put the car into gear, but not before. One hand on the cone. One final lick. Total joy. I could appreciate this because not just I love custard, but also because of the movie that I just witnessed. This movie about a few days in the life of the acclaimed novelist David Foster Wallace. If you've seen this movie, you may know that there is a scene towards the end in which David Foster Wallace is doing something very simple for him at the same time, something very profound and something joyous. He is dancing in the basement of a small Baptist church, in the small, out-of-the-way, Midwestern college town in which he teaches, to 50s rock and roll, and absolutely enjoying himself. Totally free, totally at ease. It was his moment, if you will, with the custard cone. If you know anything about David Foster Wallace's life, you know that it was not simple. For years, he struggled with addiction, with depression. His mental health was not a given. And indeed, as you may know, David Foster Wallace took his own life in his late 40s. His was not a simple life. And David Foster Wallace didn't write simply. If any of you have made it through or, like me, tried to make it through. I'm going to get there eventually. The thousand pages of his mammoth work, Infinite Jest. By the way, that's the time in this movie that's focused on his life. That's the end of the tour they're talking about. Infinite Jest has just come out in 1995, 1996, and he is being heralded as the great new American writer, and he's going on a book tour. The thing with David Foster Wallace's work intellectually complex, rigorous, and hard to read at times. But here's the thing. 
so much of what he's writing about is about the ways in which the complications of our lives, our strivings for success, our desires to be the best that we can be, very American kinds of things, that these can get in the way of our simple yearnings for connection. The kinds of connections that let us know that we're not apart from. Instead, we are very much a part of life. And when we realize that we are a part of life in this way, the felt experience of that is that we are loved. Not because of anything we did, but simply because we're a part of life. Many of us, or at least some of us, became familiar with David Foster Wallace through a commencement address that he gave in 2005 to the graduates of Kenyon College, an elite, very small school in the middle of Ohio. It goes by the name of This is Water. And some genius out there in internet land decided that they would take this wonderful 22-minute speech filled with all this wisdom and yet very different from a lot of other commencement addresses that people give in May every year. And they would condense it down into a nine-minute video setting David Foster Wallace's words to images. And I'm not going to show you the whole thing, although you can easily see it online. It's on our Facebook page. So let me just set up what you're about to see here. David Foster Wallace is talking to these graduates of this prestigious school, talking about that they don't know yet what it is to live a real life. <laughs> a life in which you've got to get up every morning and go, he says, to your, you know, high-pressure office, white-collar job, and then you're going to go home at the end of the day, and then you're going to be tired, and you have to go to the supermarket because you recognize you don't have any food in the fridge, and so you're going to get to the supermarket, and there's going to be a long line, and you are going to start to see, he says to these graduates, you are going to start to see everyone in the line in front of you as an impediment to your being alive. You're going to start to see them as dumb, as dead-eyed, as getting in your way, and you're just going to wish, God, why can't they get out of my path and let me do what I want to do? Because I'm tired and I just want to go home and eat my supper. David Foster Wallace says, yeah, that's the way we can live our lives if we choose to. Because that's life, right? That life we all live where we get stuck in the sense everyone else is in the way. Why can't it just be easier? And what David Foster Wallace is saying is that moment offers a choice to be different, to grow, to let go of some of the old annoyances and experience ourselves anew. Now, I love that that this is water speech was spoken in May, commencement day, graduation day. But it was written for here and now, this time of the year, fall, autumn, the pulse picks back up again. Sorry, folks, for most of us, vacation time is over. Sorry, kids, if any of you are here right now, school is back in session. And we resume a lot of those old patterns. I love that Liz talked about some of the adventures 
even the scary ones that we get to experience in the summertime. And this time of the year offers an opportunity for adventure in a sneakier way. It will offer us, and I know it will offer me, it already has, limitless opportunity for stopping. For a moment of recognition, much like in the video. Are we here? Are we paying attention? Because this is life. Most of the daily, boring, quotidian stuff is life. Are we stuck in some story of ourselves? Because what David Foster Wallace is talking about is that moment when we recognize the old conditioning. We have a chance to begin again. Begin with what the Buddhists call beginner's mind. See this world afresh again, even the boring daily stuff. See ourselves in those moments when we really understand our reactions. When we really get that, you know what, I've been here before and I've had the same story playing over and over in my mind for a thousandth, millionth time. And maybe in that moment we just recognize that we do what we're doing because we've always done it that way. But we don't have to. Not in this moment. Not if we stop. Not if we notice. This, I think, is the heart of all true spirituality. First beginning with simple noticing. Am I awake in this moment? Am I aware in this moment? Because if we can be awake and aware in this moment, then we will not have to take our lives for granted. Then we will not have to believe that if other people are in our way, they're just an impediment to our progress to get to where we want to go. There's a writer who some of you may know about named Andre Dubuz. He also had a son who's a very famous writer, also named Andre Dubuz, which makes this story a little bit uh, complex if you don't know which one I'm talking about. This is the father. He was a practicing Catholic, also very progressive. He also was a man who had his legs taken from him because of a traffic accident in which he had gotten out of his car to help other people who were stranded by the side of the road and he was struck by a motorist passing by. So the story comes out of Andre Dubuz's Catholicism and also his being in a wheelchair and also his being divorced. In what I'm going to share with you, he is reflecting that in his tradition, there's so much talk about the sacraments. Communion, sacrament of anointing of the dead. And he's saying, that's all true to me, but it's bigger than that. And so he chooses a sacrament that I imagine a number of you are engaged in on a very daily, perhaps even regular basis, or have been in the past or will be in the future. Making lunch for people you love. Making lunch for your children. This is what he writes about. On Tuesdays when I make lunch for my girls, I focus on this. The sandwiches are sacraments. Each moment is a sacrament. This holding of plastic bags, of knives, of bread, of cutting board, this pushing of this wheelchair, this spreading of mustard on bread, this trimming of liverwurst, this trimming of ham, all sacraments. 
as putting the lunches into a zippered book bag is, and then going down the six flights of ramps of stairs to my car is. I drive on the highway to the girls' town because I do not live with them, to their school, and this is not simply a transition between one space and another. It is my love moving by car from a place where my girls are not to a place where my girls are. Even if I do not feel it or acknowledge it, this is a sacrament. If I remember it, I feel it too. Feeling it does not always mean that I am a happy man driving in traffic. It simply means that I know what I am doing in the presence of God. If I were much wiser and much more patient and had much greater concentration... I could sit in silence in my chair, look out my windows at a green tree and the blue sky and know that breathing is a gift, that breathing this breath is sufficient for this moment, and that breathing air is breathing God. I love that explanation of what a sacrament is. Sacrament is any commonplace activity, object, or action that we transform into a sacrament by our attentive care. Imagine all our lives as being surrounded by sacraments. What Andre Dubuz is inviting us to do is to recognize the sacraments are already there, waiting for us to pay attention. Now, of course, although I'm not making sandwiches for my daughters, I am like him, And I imagine you are too. I forget. I lose touch. I lose focus. I get lost in my own thoughts. I am that person in the line in the supermarket saying, come on already. (laughs) Or in the DMV. Or waiting for that project to reach your desk at work. Or that email to come in. And we start to hear it again. Come on. We could bring judgment to ourselves in that moment if we want to. We could bring judgment to a lot of other people in that moment if we want to. Or we could choose to recognize that that moment is an opportunity. That moment is an invitation to an important space to remember what we have forgotten. That all the spiritual practices in the world... Meditation, prayer, yoga, journaling, whatever you do, whatever you don't do. All the spiritual practices in the world are about showing up in that moment and getting just a little bit more free. Having a little bit more space to access. That in a moment of noticing, we can shift from what feels obvious, from what annoys us, from what makes us numb into a moment of recognizing the connections, the sacraments that are already here. Like this story that I'm sharing with you with permission today. Not the person's name, but the experience. It occurred in our small group this past summer here at Wellsprings. It was a men's group. It was one that I co-led. And in this final meeting of the group, we were invited by another member of the group to do something like this. Eye-gazing partner meditation. 
Any of you familiar with this? Okay. So there are many different forms of eye-gazing meditation, but it all basically comes down to this. I'm staring at you. You're staring at me. Now, in this particular form of eye-gazing meditation, we were led into this space by a series of questions. Maybe this is already making some of you uncomfortable. I can see some shifting. (laughs) This is good. This is good. It means you're entering this space that I'm going to talk about. We were asked a few questions. I was sitting across from my partner, another guy. And the first question was, what are you noticing about the guy sitting across from you? Kind of back and forth. Notice I wear glasses, the other guy said. I noticed his type of hair. Notice what we were wearing back and forth. At one point, the guy I was talking to, he gave voice to something that really wasn't about me, it was about him, but I could see it was happening. He's saying, I really don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. I could see, like, we were still sitting, but, like, his feet were, like, you know, he was, like, shifting his chair and getting very fidgety. And then we got to a question that said, well, name something that you see about the guy that you're seated across from and what you think it means. And so I named. I noticed you shifting your chair a lot, and I'm curious to see if maybe you might be uncomfortable. And I got a little snort laugh from the guy across from me. (laughs) And then we were led into the final part of the practice, which is simply sitting in silence with the person, with the guy sitting across from us. And in this period at the end of the instructions, at this point now you're going to sit in silence, I could almost not just hear but feel this breath coming from the guy sitting across from me. (sighs) And still some of the fidgetiness, some of the discomfort. I've done a lot of eye-gazing meditation. It feels pretty normal, pretty natural for me. It was clear that it didn't for the guy that I was doing the meditation with. And that fidgetiness continued for about 30 seconds into that silence. And then something shifted. The physicality of the shifting stopped. Stillness. Notice the shoulders went down of the guy I was seated across from. And then something that moved me profoundly. I could see that tears had started to form in the corners of his eyes. I didn't say anything. It was a silent meditation. I just felt at one and connected. Now at the end of the meditation we had a chance to debrief our experience. I let him go first because I was really curious to hear about how this experience was for him. And he talked about what happened at that moment when the tears came to his eyes and he seemed to be at peace. He said, yeah, this was making me really uncomfortable. I I don't do stuff like this. (laughs) This is not natural for me. And then he said, I recognized who I was looking at. And he said, I recognized I trusted you. And I was safe. And that's when things shifted. Now, 
yes, it feels really nice for me. It feels really good for me to know that I helped just by being myself, put them at ease, and that there's positive connections there. But that's not the point of the story. It's that he did exactly what David Foster Wallace was talking about. In that moment, it could have been all discomfort. It could have been trusting the, don't like this. could have been tensing up and tensing up and tensing up. And folks, we all know it when the shoulders are like, almost like, like they become earrings, like they're all the way up towards our ears. But he chose to look differently. He chose to look deeper. He saw one simple thing that he trusted. And he chose to trust it further. And it changed his experience radically. This is something from the longer form version of the full speech from David Foster Wallace that I encourage you to read or to watch if you have not. When he says that all of us can live as lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdom, alone at the center of all creation. What I saw in that moment with the fellow sitting across from me was a release from that unhappy kingdom. Was a release into something more basic, more true, more trustworthy. Not me. Him. If we accept, not even the reality, but maybe just the idea, just the invitation, that sacraments are all around us, that the paying attention, loving life is always an option, we will experience unconditional love. Now, I mean that in a specific way. Unconditional love is sometimes when we speak of it, if any of us speak about it, we speak of it as a test. Do you love me unconditionally? Do I love myself unconditionally? And very often we find ourselves wanting, and then we think, okay, unconditional love is nonsense, and it doesn't even make uh, any comprehensibility whatsoever, and so let's just put it away. I'm not talking about unconditional love as a test. I'm talking about what we can experience in the moment, which is being able to greet our experience exactly as it is for what it is and to see what might shift when we trust, when we can trust in a very simple way. It could be a custard ice cream cone. It could be the makings of a sandwich. It could be simply this breath. This is something I have seen over and over again as a pastoral counselor. When I'm sitting with someone, or honestly, when I'm sitting with myself, and I see those gears start going, the stories beginning again, I can't do this, I don't have the capacity, this is too hard, I'm not worthy. I'm not smart enough. Fill in the blank for wherever your I'm not is. That's a moment to stop. To pause. To find something once again that you trust. 
doesn't mean in that moment that you believe any more than you did five minutes ago. Doesn't mean in that moment that you know any more than you did five minutes ago. It simply means that once again, when we remember what we've forgotten, what is already true, that we can turn to life and face life as it is and recognize this is all water and this is all air and this is all the relationships and this is all. And then maybe, as David Foster Wallace says, all that mystical oneness stuff, which he says is true, but then for a laugh line, he does a lot of this in his writing, says, well, maybe it isn't really true. But maybe, just holding out the hope, that maybe all this mystical oneness stuff is not for another time or another day or someplace else or when we're good enough or we're smart enough or whatever Stuart Smalley said, God down it, people like us enough and we're comfortable enough. But maybe that mystical oneness stuff is right here. And what we can touch, and what we can taste, and what we can breathe, and in what we can love. Amen. May you live in blessed. Let's pray together. Formless divinity that is always present in all of the forms. In the basic, simple things that so often is easy to overlook because we're on our way somewhere else or our work is so important or we believe we've lost any connection to meaning. On the way to someplace else, if we look at a map of the soul, we'll say what we're looking for is not someplace else. It is here. And any hope we have of ever getting to that someplace else, as we might envision it, begins here. Formless God of infinite forms, may we allow ourselves today to have ordinary praise know our lives, not to even necessarily feel that it's all going well, but instead to open to it all, open the heart, feel the connections, the being with, the being a part of that is already here and we already are. Amen.